<laughs> I like that countdown. It was like th- three, two, two. It's like one. Go. Go. <laughs> yeah. The final yeah. countdown. Do 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 do. Do 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 do. Don't put that in. We'll get copyright claimed. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it's okay. I know a really good lawyer. <laughs> His name is Nick, and he knows Dishonored. <laughs> <laughs> Richie, so tell us, why are we here today? Wasn't this your idea? This one? Oh, oh yeah, I'll tell us why we're here today. Yeah, I think you should. Okay. What happened was, look at me using Richie-isms. <laughs> Richie-ism, what happened was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. Uh, There'll be merch in the store with a picture of my face and what happened was under it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Richieisms. Richies. Ri- what? What? I think I said it wrong. Okay, we're already off topic. No, Keep going. I, said, I think I said Richieism. But what did you call it? Richieism. Richieism. Okay, Richieism. Yeah. My catchphrase is "What happened was," and here's the thing. They're not exactly great. No, no. What happened was. Here's the thing. The thing is. The way it's explained is. There's another yes. one. None of those are very good catchphrases. They're though. very good. There's another one. What happened was, the way it's explained is, the thing is, here's what happened. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> We're two minutes in. <laughs> okay. Sin, can you explain for the second time why we're here tonight. Okay. Um, a little while back, I told you that I think we should do a podcast on Dark Souls 2 and its development. And yes. you said, that's not interesting. Nobody will ever listen to this. Yes, but I've learned a lot since then. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever, fine. I'll, I thought I would bring it up again another day and would do it. But then... Yep. Angleton made a suggestion and they were like hey could you do a podcast on Dark Souls 2 development so then we had a guaranteed audience of one did I not warn you I'm extra annoying today well, what happened then was that after a while the mic just cut out, and I think it was like compensating for the fact there was a horrible loud noise. And it's just like, clearly this isn't human speech. Clearly something's wrong. And I just muted you. So there is interest in this yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah, there is. So thank you, Angleton, yeah. for proving my point and for showing that Richie was yeah. wrong once again. Yeah. Yeah. And how much research did you do on this topic, Sam? Okay. The research I have under my belt is um, a long time ago, I was talking to JSF. and uh, Yeah. How was he? He was good. He was doing his PhD. Yeah. 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 Okay. And uh, <laughs> and I told him that I started playing Dark Souls 2 and I really like it. 
And I think I liked it more yeah. than Dark Souls 1, even. And then I'm like, I, I yeah. saw, like, I looked it up, I looked up the story, I looked up threads, and people seem to be, like, really mad about it. Like, I don't get it, what's going on? Because I was like, uh, GSF, you know everything, maybe you can explain this to me. And he was like, yeah, well, something happened during development, and I'm like, yeah, people are blaming this Tanamura person for all that is wrong with the world. Yes. And then GSF yes. was like, well, no, actually he had like a half-finished project that he had to just put together and do his best. And I'm like, oh, so you're saying he basically saved Dark Souls 2. And I thought that was very interesting. And that was uh, over a year ago? Yeah, probably, yeah. 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 Yui Tanamura came in for a lot of criticism. When the game came out, if anyone follows Fungo, he has several videos up where he sort of treats Yui Tanamura as a kind of satanic presence that's destroyed the series, which I think is uncalled for. <laughs> um, the thing is, we sort of didn't know about the uh, what really happened during the making of it until the um, the design works book came out. Okay. So a lot of the early dark, like Matthew Matosis's video does this as well, where he will say, like, clearly the team, like the team's ideas were the team did this. And it turns out that, like, it's more complicated than that, that Dark Souls 2, as it is now, is kind of a ROM hack of another game that was made by, like, different people. And then Yui Tanamura was brought in to sort of. Uh, fix it up, I guess. Like we don't know what went wrong, but I guess I guess we can start talking about that because I've been going through like notes and things. All right. Yeah. So, in Tanamura's own words, this is in the Design Works interview, which is it's available fully translated. There'll be a link in the description. He says basically, due to a number of factors, we were forced to rethink the entire game midway into development. That's kind of all he says about it, but there's. Uh, if you go through other interviews, there's one with Miyazaki where Miyazaki says, like, um, the state, the reason they ended up with two directors, like, that was a decision by From and Bandai Namco to change directors. Mm-hmm. And that Miyazaki had appointed the original director, who was Tomohiro Shibuya, and the decision to replace him was made by Bandai Namco and From, and then Miyazaki chose Tanamura to take over from Shibuya. So you'll notice the game, like, Tanamura is sort of the guy who's associated with it, but it's he's credited as co-director. So there's two directors for Dark Souls 2. And what happened? Why was the director? Well, we don't. they won't say, and we don't know. Um, but you, you get, like, um, they'll just... Um, the way that Tanamura, just keep in mind, this is Tanamura talking like after the games came come out, so he's not going to be like he's not going to start airing dirty yeah. laundry. Like he's mm-hmm. not, um, he's not Keiji Inafune. <laughs> he he basically says like um, from software's titles go through like stuff like this all the time. Things are reconfigured and changed, and some aspects don't come together, so we take it apart and put it back together again. So that's sort of that's just how he explains it, and like. I want to stress, like, we don't know what the original was like that much. We don't know why they wanted it replaced, and, um, yeah. So, yeah, but, like, halfway through development, somebody said, this isn't working. We need a new guy to take over. Well, yeah, yeah, and keep in mind, like, that decision, like, they say it was specifically, it was reached by From and Bandai Namco. 
So, like, it may have been Bandai Namco um, saying, like, we d- this is not... Because they're the publisher, saying, like, this isn't the sort of game that we wanted you to make. It may not have been... It may have been a masterpiece and they just didn't think it worked for them. So, like, we don't know. But I think, like, this... Um, so, what we're sort of setting up here is, like, Dark Souls 2 that we have is made out of sort of the corpse of, like, Dark Souls 1.5. Yeah. And Tanamura had about half the time to make it. Yeah, he was brought on halfway through development. He he sort of had to, like, it was like a remix, yeah. almost. <laughs> like, he had the areas and the monsters and the NPCs, and it was like, how do we reconfigure all these into a coherent game that's not the game we had before? Yeah. So I think, like, we'll just go through... Because I've gone through the DesignWorks interview, I've gone through, like, data mining pages and interviews and stuff, and I've, I've just made, like, a, a list of sort of things that changed and how they changed. So, Okay. A lot of this has been covered by um, Santa DSK yeah. did some videos yeah. about Dark Souls 2 sort of cut stuff, and I think, like, this is, I guess, like, the longer sort of rambly companion to that. <laughs> so, going off, like, what Shibuya is, like, He's present in interviews sort of before the game is changed, and he talks about, like, his ideas for the game. So he says that with Dark Souls 2, he wanted to make it... This is a thing that set off alarm bells with some people early on, because he said, I want it to be straightforward and accessible more so than Dark Souls 1 was. And people took that to mean that he wanted to make the game easier. And, like, if you were around at the time, there was sort of like, oh, wait, he's making the game too easy. Like, this is, like bad. But then that's clarified that what he meant by straightforward and accessible is he was trying to remove like things he thought were sort of tedious and boring or not explained properly. So the examples he gives is like he wanted the covenant system to be more like explicit about what they actually did. And he also wanted to make sure there was like bonfire warping from the start to save players having to go backwards and forwards all the time. So with stuff like that he didn't mean he wanted the game to be easy. And he said that he wanted to make a game that was about um, time and the existence of time. Which is something that is kind of carried through to Dark Souls 2 that we ended up with, but there it's more about memory than time. And he also, he talked about how um, he wanted to make it very sort of ocean and sea themed. He wanted there to be a lot of like looking out over the ocean, which is why Majul is where it is. Yeah, and it makes sense. And, you get a you yeah. get a feeling that water is somehow important in the game because there's Majula that's over yeah. the ocean. There's the other area with the lighthouse that's just the ocean, basically. Paid. Yeah, and there's um yeah um you know the fort that you go to, you can see the fort, you can see yeah, the ocean. There's, from the fort. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of water there. Yeah, yeah, and he talked about how he wanted to make uh, a story that was the same world, but not the continuation of the Dark Souls 1 story. And again, that is something we kind of got because it does continue the Dark Souls 1 story. Like characters do get referenced in things, but it's now that we have Dark Souls 3, you can see like what, what a continuation of the story would have been like. So like, I remember when Dark Souls 2 came out, people were kind of complaining a bit saying like, it's bringing back all this stuff from Dark Souls 1. Like why doesn't it come with anything new? And now that we have Dark Souls 3 and you literally just go back to Anor Londo at one point, I think people were maybe a bit too hasty in being judgmental about that. <laughs> yeah. Because Dark Souls 2 does, it does stand on its own. Like, the callbacks are a bit, like, 
they're pretty well hidden. You don't actually get a lot of them until New Game Plus. And they really just amount to, like, these were historical events. It, it is its own thing, and it does treat, like, hollowing very differently, and it, it sort of changes the focus from... It changes the focus onto, like, the individual effects of uh, what it would be like to actually lose your sense of self, which is not something that one or three really do. I was talking to someone earlier about how, like, hollowing is different, that in, like, Dark Souls 2, they make a big deal out of, like, hollowing is the worst thing that can happen to you because you lose... Your body remains, but you lose your sense of self, and you, you go through this, like... It's like you're dead, but not dead. And, like, you are gone, but there's this, like, corpse version of you that's still around, and it's, like, it's this terrible fate because you have been, like, it's worse than dying because your actual essence is, like, gone. Whereas in Dark Souls 3, it's, like, be a hollow, it's cool because you can be the Lord of Londor. <laughs> and it's, like, two, two, two very different takes on that, on that topic, yeah, on that yeah. Uh, idea, yeah. So, I don't know where you want to start with, like, things that changed. Well, I wanted to ask you, uh, you sent me that Reddit thread? Yeah, that was um, recently, because I sent you a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it had pictures of a bunch of characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually, because I, I played Dark Souls 2 a while back, and I don't actually remember. Which of these made it to the, to the final game? Well, he, well, here's an example of what we mean about things being changed. So, like, there's an area called Huntsman's Cops, and in Huntsman's Cops there are these enemies that are, like, a big kind of fat guy with two sort of scythe things. And the way they're explained in Dark Souls 2 is that they're just, like, they're just a big fat guy with scythe. They're just an undead um, guy who wanders around Forbidden Woods. Not Forbidden Woods, sorry. Huntsman's Cops. But what I sent you was, like, a very early interview when... Shibuya was still in charge, and he looks at that character and he says, like, there's a mad scientist in the world of Dark Souls 2, and he's producing this, like, Frankenstein monster thing. And the reason it's so big is it's all of these different, like, body parts that have been stitched together into this strange creature. So, like, that gives you a sense of what changed, that, like, originally this thing, like, it tied into a character who's not really there anymore, had a different- was meant to be, like, a Frankenstein monster, and now it's just, like, a big guy with a scythe, and it fulfills a completely different role. So, <laughs> another example of what changed is the character of Lucatiel. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, if you when you run into Lucatiel in the game, she's wearing a mask that has a beard and a very long nose on it, and it's never really explained why she's wearing that. And it's described almost like people in Mirror just wear this, and you're like, really? This looks ridiculous. And the answer is that she was meant to be like a Don Quixote figure. And the mask is meant to look like Don Quixote. It's why it's got the big beard and the big pointy nose. And the idea is she, as Don Quixote, would have a, a squire like Sancho Panza. And he would be like a little, like, um, like a very, like not a normal NPC model, like this really short guy <laughs> to look like Sancho Panza. And what happened was they, they, Liked the, they, they thought it sort of worked, but it was also too funny. It was too comical for the world. So they recycled it. So they got rid of the Sancho Panza character and they made him into the bellkeeper, the, the little guy you talked yeah. to. 
So the little guy who's like cackling, the bell, the bell, the bell, that started off as like Luca Teal's squire who would follow her around. And like her name wasn't Luca Teal, her name was actually Don Quixote. Okay. Could you give me a second? Still a female character. Yeah. Sorry. Hello? Hello. Yeah, sorry. Corvo was trying to kill me. That's okay. Yeah, I could could hear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I guess, like, continuing with the, the characters who were changed, or the enemies that were changed. So, like, there's these, the dwarf guys called the Gurm, who are, sim- they're, they're, like, the most, um, they're kind of like Tolkien-esque dwarves, like, they're just big hairy guys with axes who are short. Uh, you encounter them in-game in an area called the Doors of Pharos, but they originally were in the area that's now the gutter, the, like, underground sort of Blight Town area. And it's described as, like, they they were sort of relevant to the plot, and the idea is that they were, like, a slave race of the king, uh, King Vendrick. And that he had hired them because they are, like, Tolkien dwarf characters to, like, dig a huge tunnel. And they were digging this big underground tunnel underneath Drang Lake Castle. And the um, the area that's now the gutter... That was like a village they had built inside there. And you would have to go, like, that would have been the basement of Dranglite Castle, and you would have gone through there, and they would have dug a tunnel to a late game area. So the gutter, instead of being a, um, like an op- sort of optional area that you don't ever really need to go to, that terminates in a dead end, it would have been like part of the critical path of the game, would have been getting from the top of the gutter to the bottom. Oh. Why, why do you think it would have been a critical part It'll of the come game? up later on, but like they were yeah. digging a tunnel to a place called, it's actually called the Dreg Heap. Okay. And that's somewhere you would have had to go. So the idea is that like there was Drang Lake Castle, and then the, the Gurm were digging, like they were laborers who were in charge of digging under Drang Lake Castle. And Vendrick was using them to dig out the bottom of Drang Lake Castle. And they still would have lived in the gutter, and the idea is, like, that they, they were slaves, so they lived in this, like, horrible, like, shit heap. It was like a sewer, and everything was being dropped in the sewer, and they just had to keep working on the sewer. <laughs> but then, like, in secret, uh, they had discovered something that Vendrick didn't want them to know about, which was that there was something else under Drang Lake Castle, and they had dug a tunnel there. So the way you, you would get to this, like, late-game area is you would have to go through, like, the Grim, the Germs village sort of area to get there. Yeah. So, like, there's another uh, another example of, like, something that is a bit weird in the game and uh, was ex- was sort of something that was cut out, is there's, there's a bunch of bosses called the Dragon Riders who at no point ride dragons. <laughs> and in the, in the interview with Tanamura, he's like, yeah, they did ride dragons originally, but then we were like... No, they look pretty cool without the dragons. He says, like, <laughs> um, the soldiers looked imposing enough by themselves. So they just removed the dragon and had them walk around by themselves. But they they still called them dragon riders, which is slightly confusing. I feel like they should have kept the dragons. Well, we don't know. Um, another example of something that changed is the Mirror Knight who is one of the bosses everyone remembers. And the way that articulates in the game we have is that it's basically like the old monk. 
where you get summoned by the Mirror Knight. So, like, you're someone's fighting the Mirror Knight, and then out of his shield is a gigantic mirror. And then during the fight, out of the shield will pop, like, a summoned phantom to fight you as well as the Mirror Knight. But the, um, the original plan was, like, it leaned more into it being a mirror, where what would happen is, like, you would fight a phantom based on you, because it's a mirror. So you would see your own reflection in the shield. And then your reflection would step out of the shield and you would fight that. So you'd fight, like, your own build. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I don't know why they cut that. It may have been, like, too hard to, to implement. Like, maybe if you changed your gear or something, it would get confused. I don't know. Oh, maybe. But yeah, yeah that would have been pretty awesome. Very meta. Yeah. Um, a bunch of other bosses had, like, minor changes. And I don't think they're that interesting. The one that... um. The one that interests me is the undead chariot, the executioner's chariot. I don't know if you fought that because it's optional. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, This is sort of, it's just from one interview and it's kind of ambiguously worded, but Shibuya explains that the idea behind that chariot is that it was somehow tied to the morality system and the sin system. The sin system? The sin system. Yeah, you predicted cut content yet again. (laughs) That, um... You would, if you like, it would be kind of like a dark moon invasion, where like if you sort of did stuff to, like, if your sin got high enough, you would actually just be sent there to like be executed by the chariot as like a punishment. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would have worked. I um, feel like, yeah, when I when I was reading it, I I was like, I kind of got a glimpse of the pursuer in my head. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, he shows up randomly, but it's not tied to anything, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another thing that I guess we'll come up with later on when we talk about the changes to Undead Crypt is that there's a boss called Throne Watcher and Throne Defender who have fought as two. And originally it was a three-way fight, and the third member of that was Velstat. So Throne Watcher, Defender, and Velstat would have been fought as, like, a three, one-versus-three fight, basically. Uh, Velstat is currently. Eventually, they removed Velstat and put him in the the um, undead crypt, which we'll come to later on because it becomes significant, like the original role of that area. Uh, Nishandra. All we know about Nishandra is he says that this is Tanamura. Nishandra wasn't going to be the final boss. Um, the the like the boss was always in there, and she was always intended to be like that. The sort of skull thing you fight was meant to be the true form of the queen. But um, she originally wasn't a major villain. She she sort of became. She was promoted, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and I uh, to, to, yeah. <laughs> she was promoted like Gail. Well, she was. It's it's like the op. It's the opposite of uh, Pontus Sullivan, or the opposite of Pontus. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think they also mentioned that she was supposed to be like a reminder of Nito or something. Yeah, so she was like reminiscent of Nito, but he doesn't really go into detail. As to what that means. So, uh, I guess we can go into areas now. There's like well, one um, really. Before yeah, okay, we go into areas, uh, you mentioned yeah. something that the um, the chariot was supposed to be tied to a morality system. We think that's like based on one line yeah, from yeah. an interview. Well, that's that, what yeah. that's what he said. Like, yeah, Shibu- that's what Shibuya said, right? Well, it's it's phrased as like um, he talks about the morality system, and then they're like. Oh, is this like um 
Oh, he just says something like, "If you if you do the wrong thing, you might." They talk okay, about the morality s- system, Richard, and then Richard, he says, "Like, here. yeah, okay." Okay, so this is from the Reddit thread, and okay, so the person's asking, "Does this mean there will be some kind of moral?" Whoa, what the fuck's going on? Is everyone okay? Okay, so the person's asking, uh, "Does this mean there will be some kind of morality system?" Um, in Dark Souls Two, and Shibuya is like. Yes, definitely. If you're unlucky enough, you'll be able to meet them. So yeah, I think this is a this is another example of like when he talks about making the game more more like streamlined and easy to understand. In Dark Souls, um, Illusory Wall has a video up on this. In Dark Souls One, you have a sin like level, but you can't ever see it. And there's different kinds of sin, but like you sort of want the only way you'll know is if you talk to Oswald. And then he'll say, like, I'll remove your sin. But you don't know, like, what level it's on or what kind of sin it is. Dark Souls 2, you just have a sin, like, counter that just tells you, like, exactly how much sin you've committed. And the it ties you to Dark Moon Invasions as, um, it's called Way of Blue, obviously. It ties you to Way of Blue Invasions, as it does in Dark Souls 1. But also, if you get it high enough, you get a special title called Wretch. And if you're a wretch, your hit points, like, hollowing hurts you a lot more, and your hit points can be reduced to, like, 1%. Instead of it being capped at, like, I think it's capped at 50, but if you're a wretch and you've sinned a lot, it's like there's no limit to how badly you can hollow. And you can end up, yeah, you can end, um, if anyone knows Boundary, not Boundary Break, um, Limit Breakers. Limit Breakers have a video up on, like, kind of screwing around with Dark Souls 2, and one of the things that they, they sort of, um, uh, abuse in that is the way that, like, you can get extremely low maximum hit points through sin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you can kind of break the game with it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thanks. And uh, he mentions something else. Shibuya mentions something else. He says, uh, I personally feel that the Covenant system was something that was difficult to fully observe and experience in Dark Souls, and I intend to make it more accessible to players. Yeah. Was it more accessible in Dark Souls 2? Um, yeah, but I also feel like in doing that, it's kind of less interesting. Because in, like, in Dark Souls 1, like, there's a covenant, you join it, you're not entirely sure what it's going to do. And then if you abandon the covenant, there's a penalty associated with it. Whereas Dark Souls 2, you can uh, pretty much just join and and leave covenants at random with like there's still a penalty to it but it's not as severe and it, it, it encourages you to like it encourages you to be a bit more gamey with them like in dark souls one the way miyazaki talked about covenants is it's like the covenant sort of defines the character's role in the world you're only really meant to have one okay whereas in dark souls 2 you're sort of encouraged to like max out covenants to get cool stuff so like more like a regular game yeah, and I like I get what they mean about it. it was it was hard to understand and it was sort of weird and and um opaque, but I liked that it was that. Even if it didn't entirely work. Okay, thank you. So you also mentioned there were area changes? There were area changes. Uh there were a lot of them. It's more to do with where things were than uh like area designs. So, the one I want to start with is Things Betwixt, because it's the area you start the game in. 
that went through like this is sort of um this is based on a bunch of interview stuff and some data mined old maps that um you can find on Illusory Walls Tumblr. They weren't, I think, mined by him. I think they were mined by a friend of his called I think Demons Echo or something. I probably got his name wrong. But um we'll link that. Basically, the way that the tutorial area is described in early press stuff is that you would start in this area that was almost, it was like a cave and it would be almost entirely black and you wouldn't be able to see anything, kind of like Tomb of the Giants in Dark Souls 1. And you would sort of like try to blindly grope through this cave and figure out what was happening. And in the cave would be a series of like really, really tough enemies. Like there'd be a dragon. There would be those big ogres that can one-shot you by eating you. And they would just be in the cave and you would have to figure out how to get out of the cave, like constantly running into these things and like having to double back and hide. And like um, the way they explained it is that there would be a way to get through there. But if you were persistent enough and you sort of maybe like a new game plus thing where you knew the layout of the cave to begin with, it would have more than one exit. And from what? illusory wall has sort of put together one of those exits would have been to uh people are probably familiar with this thing because you can see it, but you never go there there's like an aqueduct that connects to drang lake castle it's sort of similar to the big bridge in dark souls 3 you can see it from the ground in some areas there's like a massive aqueduct that goes from the side of drang lake castle and then it just sort of keeps going and you never find the end of it and from what from what he's put together, and like I agree based on what he's found, one of the exits of the tutorial would have been the aqueduct. So if you were in presumably New Game Plus and you knew the layout of the tutorial area and you knew what you were doing, uh, and you could like deal with all these monsters and shit, you could start the game at the aqueduct by taking like an alternate exit of the tutorial area. And then just run to Drang Lake Castle and skip, like, the first half of the game entirely. And, like, things betwixt, it looks like it was mostly kind of the same as it is now, but the the Dark Cave area we're talking about, it looks like that's what became the Dark Chasm of the Abyss area that you can enter if you're part of the Pilgrims of the Dark Covenant. So, yeah, they originally had this, like, much more elaborate tutorial planned with all this, like, extra shit you could do. And um, that got cut down. It sort of got removed and then split in half. Half of it was things betwixt, and the other half was the Chasm of the Abyss. Chasm of Old, not Chasm of the Abyss, sorry. Literally unlistenable, Richie. (sighs) There's too many abysses. (laughs) And if you'd like to know more about the abyss, <laughs> or if you if you'd like to know less about the abyss, <laughs> check out our abyss podcast. Are there three of them? Yeah. If you'd like three completely contradictory takes on the abyss by three people who weren't talking to each other at the time <laughs> because of a scheduling issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And from an interview, um, 
Tanamura basically, he sort of describes that and then he says he felt like he was overdoing it. Like it was too tough and it was too, con- too confusing to start with. Um, the alternate, like, Iron Keep went through a redesign. There's really not much we can say about it on audio. It's, like, basically the same kind of area, but it looks slightly different. Santa has a video of that on his channel. Um, uh, another thing that changed is, is Seldra. It's an area that's, like, it's, like, in a, in a, um, like a ravine. It's, like, a mining village built into the side of a ravine. And from reading the interview, they talk about how the idea behind Seldra was that you would have to crisscross from one side to the other, and there would be spider webs that was spun. So you'd have to like run across the web and they keep changing what side of the ravine you're on using the web. Uh, the most one interesting thing that like I wish they'd sort of kept, and I don't know why they removed it, is that. Um, there's an area called Harvest Valley that is full of all of this like poisonous gas, and it's also full of windmills, which is sort of an odd combination of things. And from reading the interview, it turns out that the reason that's there is because they wanted there to be puzzles where you would have to use the windmills to produce like wind to blow the poison away. So there'd be areas that were poisonous, and then you would activate the windmill, and then the blade spinning would create a gust of wind that would blow the poison gas away, and you'd be able to go through. So that's 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 a very, almost like Zelda-like approach to puzzles. Which, I guess, like, maybe it just didn't um, didn't fit with the world they had, or maybe it just... Because it, do, it doesn't seem like a Dark Souls thing. It seems more like a, like a Legend of Zelda thing, but... Um... This is basically a bunch of like little minor changes that I don't think are that fascinating. Um, there's an area that you could see from Majula, and no one knew what it was. It was like a big circular area. And the, the theory at the time was that it was uh, Undead Purgatory, which is the area where the, the Executioner's Chariot is, because that's just a big like coliseum. And we'd all assumed it was Undead Purgatory since ever. But then Santa did some more mining and he found out that, like, no, that's that area would have been kind of the Dark Souls 2 equivalent of the Nexus or Firelink Shrine. It would have been, like, this hub. And he showed off a map of it and it's, like, just a big circular area with these huge staircases going up to what presumably would have been warp points. It's very, like, very much like a big, it's like a bigger version of the Nexus. Where it was just these sort of stones arranged that you'd be able to warp from. Uh, but they they just went with Majula. I think because they added bonfire warping from the start, it was redundant to add a hub. He's still there. Yeah, I'm listening. I'm actually okay, paying yeah. attention to you for months in okay. my life. Okay. <laughs> um, they also talk about how Majula was originally much, much bigger. It was like a much bigger town, and it, it had two kind of tiers to it. You'd be able to go from like the top of Majula to the bottom, and there was much more of like a like an ocean feel to it, and the bottom of Majula like would have been much closer to the sea. And um Tanamura just says like that was there, but it it sort of got too big. Like it it didn't he felt like it didn't work properly as a hub anymore, so they just sort of removed half of it. Cause he felt yeah, he just basically says a hub should be convenient. 
and he didn't feel like the medulla they had was convenient. So, Also, this one unused area, no one knows what the fuck it is, but it's just a series of houses stacked on top of each other in a tower. <laughs> and it's not like it's not like they've copied and pasted the same house. Like it's been designed that way. It's like just this huge tower made out of houses, and I don't know what they are. Was it like um like an art student's project? I hate saying this, but if anyone's seen Ready Player One, it's like a house version of the stacks of <laughs> trailers in that. Oh snap. Yeah, so we don't know what that is. That may have been like the Gurm village that's underground or something. We don't know. Yeah. Another thing that like um they keep saying is that this is Shibuya and Tanamura. They both say that they wanted Dark Souls 2 to provide like to be much less linear, to give you like the freedom to sort of go anywhere you wanted at the start. And it's it does it works like that. Dark Souls 2 is structured like the opposite of Dark Souls 1. Because in Dark Souls 1, the game is like, you have a certain number of things you have to do in a certain order, and then it opens up when you get the Lord Vessel, and you can go to the four areas. Dark Souls 2 is the opposite, where it starts with, you have to go to the four places, and then it becomes linear. Yeah, so they, the, I guess they did do that. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I'll just go through a list of, like, these are boss souls that Santa found. And um, I'll just go over them. We don't really know what a lot of them are. There's one called Great Frog, which is clearly, like, there is just a giant frog in Dark Souls 2. Uh, It's called Demon of Song in Dark Souls 2. Here it's just called the Great Frog. There's the Spider Queen, who I'm assuming is the Freya boss. Then there's a really interesting one called Lodging Big Crab. And, like, Santa had no idea what this was, and then I remembered that when Illusory Wall was going over data mind map stuff, there is, like, a gigantic crab that is in Lost Bastille. If anyone, if you, when you go into Lost Bastille from the boat, there's, like, a, um, you sort of go along, like, a jetty leading to a cave, and... In that map, but unused, is, like, a gigantic crab. So I'm assuming that's lodging Big Crab. Uh, there's also references to something called the River Dragon. No idea what that is. Um, there's a boss soul for Grave Warden Agdane, who is an NPC, so he would have been a boss at some point. And there is a boss soul for... It's called the Curse Hand. And I think that might be, there's like these big hands that attack you in the Black Gulch area. So maybe they were a boss at some point, I don't know. And there's also the the boss soul of, uh, it's called Van Clad, that's what Vendrick's called in Japan. So there's like the boss soul of Vendrick. And this has Nishandra's boss soul as the last one. So, like they said earlier, like she wasn't supposed to be the final boss to begin with, but it looks like when this list was written they'd finalized that she was the boss. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. There's also the boss soul for something called the Witch of Lydia, which is another, which is like an enemy that you sometimes run into. So I guess they were demoted from boss to enemy. So now we're on to like, this is the third and final chunk, which is the data mind dialogue. Oh, snap. 
Sana made a video about this, like, lo- it was all in Japanese, it was from a network test. And um, Loki got hold of it and he translated it. So, I'll go over, like, the this, this is the dialogue for, it looks like the first, um, maybe, like, I guess, act of the story. It's not, like, all the dialogue, but it's in there. So, we've got, we've got the Emerald Herald. And it's basically the same dialogue, but also she recognizes you. And she says, like, oh, it's you. Do you remember me? Do you remember who I am? And she's like, do you remember my face? And the final thing she says is, oh, but, well, then you must remember this. And you don't, doesn't say what she's doing, but I think that is meant to be, I think it's meant to be her pulling her hair back and showing that she has two different colored eyes. Oh. Because that's what makes her unique in this world. So. The reason she's saying, do you remember me, is that there's a whole lot, there's a full dialogue set for a young version of Shanalon. She's like a child. And we've known about that, I think, since the game came out, there's like a model of her as a child. She's like, um, like very young. She's like three or four years old. She's like a, she can like sort of, she just, she acts like a child, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk to her and there's a ton of dialogue, I won't go through it all, but she's basically saying like, she asks you to bring her a feather. And then you bring her a feather and she says, oh, this is Estintia's feather. Uh, Estintia is like, that's the name. It doesn't seem to mean anything. It's just something called Estintia. And she says, like, this is a very rare feather. I promise not to show it to strangers. That's what would. That's what becomes the aged feather in the game. Because there's a point in Dark Souls 2 where you get to the Dragonary and the Emerald Herald just randomly gives you a feather. And it's called the Aged Feather, and it's treated as though it's like this massively significant moment. And if you remember the early Dark Souls trailers, like there is a, they make a big deal out of her giving you the feather, and she like clasps your hand and like looks at you like straight in the eye and gives you the feather. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, like if you like that, would have it. It sort of seems random in the game that we have, but. Once you understand that when that was conceptualized, the idea is you would have given her a feather as a child, and then she would give it back to you, like, 20 or 30 years later, and you would realize, oh, that's her. Yeah. So that's why the feather's treated as significant. Um, She talks about how she's done a lot of traveling, and she talks about, like, there's different people that she travels with, and she's currently traveling with an old man. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, why in um, in Japanese she's called, like, the Pilgrim in Green rather than Emerald Herald. And the way she talks about traveling all the time, I think that's why she's called the Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So her dialogue ends with, like, she says, I'll do something for you. It's a secret. Don't tell anyone I can do it. And she levels you up. Ah, oh, that's yeah. cool. I like how it's a secret. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And her dialogue, it uh, it ends with her basically saying, like, okay, I'll stay in this village. I finished traveling, I'll stay in this village, I'm sure I'll see you again. I'm assuming that's Majula. Mm-hmm. But, like, you leave her in Majula as a child and then you come back when she's an adult. Mm-hmm. And she has uh, an old man she's traveling with who's, like, her... Loki's got that he's, like, her handler. But the way that it, it, it almost seems more like he's just, like, this sort of dirty, greedy merchant who just owns her. 
and you just, from what I can tell, you just buy her from him because we have his dialogue. And like, I either you would give him a whole lot of souls, or you would give him some item, and then he would just give you the Emerald Herald as a child to sort of free her. Or you could kill him. You probably could. <laughs> so yeah, that's the Emerald Herald's, I guess, part of her original backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like we don't have everything; we just have like bits and pieces of it. So then we come on to a character called. This is confusing because. Sana calls him Vendrick because you can kind of read his name as Vendrick, but then it's really confusing because there's a king called Vendrick. Because in this version, yeah. So I'm going to call him Beldrick because that's okay. another way of reading it. And it kind of, it's, it's close enough. Okay. Yeah. Like his name is written, it's like Beruderic. So like it could, you can read it as anything because there's so many uh, sounds that can be read in two different ways. <laughs> so. So Beldrick says, when you meet him, he says, like, I am, he's very, very arrogant. And he's like a scholar. And when you talk to him, he says, like, I'm the smartest man, like, in, he says, in the country. So I mentioned him, he's like, I'm like the smart, I'm like the greatest mind that there is here. And when you talk to him, he says, like, you know, you're an illiterate savage. You can't understand any of my ideas. Aww. And that he sort of mutters to himself about how, like, uh, he was. He used to be in Drang Lake Castle, and everyone mocked his ideas. And like he has all these, like he was doing all this research, and no one was taking him seriously. And something has happened, and he's now outside of Drang Lake Castle. So this is again like total conjecture, but I think it fits that he would be in Majula, and he would be in that that mansion with the giant book. Right. Yeah. Because I don't know, like, that absolutely fits the idea of, like, a mad scholar. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, it makes sense that the NPCs would all be in Majula, basically. So, he would, he and he. the point is he's not in Drang Lake Castle and he's trying to get back. And he says his, what he's done is he, Drang Lake Castle has fallen to the giants as it does in the Dark Souls 2 story uh, that we have now. And Beldrick's plan is he wants to go back in time and stop it from falling. So he has he has constructed this thing that he calls the uh, he just calls it the time traveling pendulum. So it's a pendulum that he had like partially completed and, and it is still in Drang Lake Castle. And he's figured out that in order to make it work, he needs two other things, which are he says a dragon's jewel. And he says, like, it's a jewel that's growing inside the body of a dragon. And I can't figure out where that would have been. He just says that it's guarded by soul-starved demons. So, I don't know. The thing is, there's, like, a deleted object that's a dragon skeleton. So, I'm wondering if, like, you, when he says inside the body of a dragon, if maybe you had to find a dead dragon and pull pull the jewel out of it or something. Or maybe you had to find a live drag and get eaten. Well, that's yeah, that's what I'm wondering, because I don't really know what's going on here. Like, that may have been ancient dragon, for all we know. Like, you may have had to kill it and get the um, jewel that way. The second thing he needs is, it's called the Droplet of Time. And he says it's like, there's a spring of water in a mine somewhere. And it turned out that, like, when miners touched the water, they were displaced in time. And they would end up in another place or another time after they drank from it. I'm pretty sure that's Seldra. 
because uh, Seldra is a mining town in Dark Souls 2. And you go to, down into this big mine area. And I'm pretty sure, like, that's what's that's where the droplet of time would have been. It also may have been in the Doors of Pharos, because that's also kind of a mine. But I think it fits better if you say it's in Seldra. So, like, basically at the start of the game, you would have had to get three items. You would have had to get the jewel, the droplet, and the pendulum. And they would have been in three different places. So that would have replaced the... Like, in the current game, you have to go and get four... It says slay the four great old ones. And it's just that it's this the end of Dark Souls 1 again. We have to go and beat four bosses and then use their souls to open a door. He would have just had to go get these three MacGuffins to get Beldrick's pendulum working. And, um, yeah, when you get it off him, uh, he basically... His dialogue just sort of ends in saying, oh, you've got everything, great, we can, we can go back in time now. But um, dialogue sort of ends there. We don't find out, like what would have happened. But yeah, his plan is to just, um, in Dark Souls 2, there are these things called the giant memories where you, you go inside the memories of dead giants and then you get to see the, the war between Drang Lake and the giants. And it looks like that's a leftover version of this, but it would have just been straight up time travel. It wouldn't have been a memory thing. Like you would have actually just physically gone back in time to Drang Lake fighting the giants. Yeah. And you would have, it looks like the plan was like you'd alter the past so Drang Lake didn't fall. Yeah. So the character that has the most dialogue, interestingly, is Shalqua the cat. <laughs> who you find she's a cat, obviously, she's in the jewel that people all know who she is. Um this version is interesting because there's an item called the Ring of Whispers that you need to talk to Mad Scorpion Tark with. If you're not wearing it, he won't talk to you. The original purpose of that ring was that Shalqua wouldn't talk to you until you had the ring on. So she would just be a cat in Majula. And then if you came back with the ring, suddenly she's speaking to you. And she's, she comments, she's saying, like, oh, that ring lets you speak to me. So it would have been like a reveal that she wasn't a normal cat. Instead of her just being able to talk from the beginning. That ring? Oh, that uh, ring works on a scorpion or something, right? Yeah, there's. I just said that. There's an NPC oh, you can only talk to with the ring. Yeah. Are you distracted by Corvo? No, I'm distracted by Dark Souls too. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> okay. So Shalqua is like the best source of the, the backstory because she sort of explains everything. Okay. So she specifically talks about she's old enough to remember like Gwyn and the Ancient Dragons. So she's been around since, like, the beginning of time, basically. And she's just sort of, like, she's wandered the world, and she's just been to all these places, and she's immortal, and she just, like, hangs around and leaves again, so she knows everything. Uh-huh. And she talks about, specifically, she was in Drang Lake Castle. Like, she was, like, a cat that would hang around with Vendrick and Nishandra and everyone. And it says specifically that, like, she was in Drang Lake Castle. She's left. She left after it started going. Things started going bad, and she was friends with. Oh, there's a woman called Emila Berg. So I don't know if she was an NPC or not, but there's a woman called Emila Berg who Shalqua was friends with, and um, she talks about Drang Lake Castle, and she says that like the forest leads to the castle, which is how it works out in Dark Souls Two as it is now. You go through shaded woods and get to Drang Lake Castle that way. 
Uh, interestingly, like in Illusory Walls research into that area, he's found that there is a, there's an unused tunnel and a bunch of unused geometry in Shaded Woods that maybe would have led to it differently. I don't know. Um, she specifically says that all the ruins in Shaded Woods... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she specifically says that the ruins in Shaded Woods are... She says the ruins of the Beastmen. So, when you go into Shaded Woods, there's a bunch of... They're called the Lion People. Uh, I think they're Lion Knights of something or other that are in Shaded Woods. And, like, in this version of the of the story, the idea is that, like, they're there because that's where they used to live. It's like there was a lion man civilization there that collapsed. And that's why they're there. So she calls it the ruins of the beast man. She talks about the fort uh, at Forest of Fallen Giants where you fight the Pursuer and the Last Giant. Uh, she doesn't really tell you anything new, but she gives it a name. And like Loki translates the name as like Defense of the Shore. But I like. Like, as though that's the name of the fort. But, like, I looked at it and um, another way to read it would, would almost be, like, the Shield of the Sea. So, it's, like, it's called the Shield of the Sea Fort, not just the fort, basically. It has, like, it has a name that means, like, this is the, this defends the sea. This defends us from the giants. Uh, she specifically says that, so in Shaded Woods, there are these trees that have faces on them. And Shalqua specifically says that. The trees with faces are there because they're possessed. And she says that, she she says this is like very direct. She says you can't go into the forest because of the trees. So it seems like you would have maybe had to do something to make, like the they may have like physically blocked you from going in there and you would have to do something to make them go away. Like maybe like beat a boss or something that was, and they're like that would kill off the trees. I don't know, but. She's clear that, like, you can't go into the forest. You have to do something else first. And when you do go into the forest, she's surprised by it. She says, like, oh, you made it into the forest. Like, she's sort of surprised that you did it. So it's it's not a case of her just saying, like, don't go into the forest. It's dangerous. She's like, you actually can't go into the forest. Um, so there's an interesting part here where she talks about, like, when Drang Lake was uh, after, like, hmm. It's not clear when she's referring to this happening, but she says, like, basically, in the chaos that engulfed Drang Lake, in order to protect the castle, they locked the gate of the castle. And that meant that the village on the other side of the gate was, like, doomed, and it was just destroyed by the people who were attacking Drang Lake. And she calls it Drang Lake Castle Town, and I don't know, like, if that was a different map or what that was, because there's no way that's called Drang Lake Castle Town, like, in the game. Because Drang Lake Castle is, like, it is just sitting, it's, like, this almost surreal. It's just, like, it's just sort of completely isolated on this, like, mountain with just rain everywhere, and there's no other buildings anywhere near it. It's very, very, like, fantasy. It doesn't look like a real castle. It doesn't look like Boletaria. So... I don't know where Drang Lake Castle Town was supposed to be, and I don't know where this gate is supposed to have been either, because the closest thing there is to, like, a locked gate in that area is the Shrine of Winter, which isn't a locked gate. It's, it's like, a weird magic thing. So, yeah, I don't know what the deal with Drang Lake Castle Town was, but she says that, basically, Drang Lake Castle Town was the... when the It's like New Londo, almost. Like, they just shut the gate and 
refused to let anyone out, and it was destroyed by she just says the barbarians. Uh and that's that's all we find out. I don't know what the deal with Castle Town is. Um she talks about how she says there's a petrified dragon egg in a place called the Egg Ritual Place, or like the Egg Ritual Temple or something. And she says it's inside of the forest. And that seems to be that seems to match up with the dragon shrine area, because that is literally like a dragon ritual, like dragon worship place. But weirdly, like she says it's in the forest, and that's very clearly not in a forest. So I don't know if like they moved it or they removed the trees or it was somewhere else entirely, but yeah. There's something to do with dragon rituals happening in, in uh presumably the forest, like she means shaded woods because she just always says the forest. So, and she also specifies that Nishandra has a dragon egg, like with her, which hints at like a story that I don't know, because there, there's a petrified dragon egg in the game, and you do get it from the dragon shrine. Like it is actually enshrined there on like a pedestal. You can just take it. And I'm guessing that's what they're referring to, but if that's true, then, like, Dragon Shrine would have been somewhere completely different, and for some reason, Nishandra would also have had a dragon egg. So then we come to... Uh, this is the last part, and it's kind of the most interesting. Shalqua talks about how Vendrick is seeking a group of people called the Immortals. Now, the... This is very specific because the way that undead's written in Japanese is it's just like undying. Um, it's not actually undead; it's undying. So I'm thinking, are we mortal? Is that just undead? Like, no. It's it's written phonetically. Like, it's the word is actually like immortara. So they're a distinct thing. They're not just undead. And she basically says, like, there's another, almost like another race or another tribe called the Immortals who also, like the undead, cannot die, but they're not undead. And she says that they hate the sun, and they live in a castle that, because they hate the sun, their castle is buried underground. And, again, like New Londo style, there was something about how the, the immortals cannot move through water. So they flooded the castle to keep them in there. And at some point, it looks like Vendrick figured out that the immortals knew something or had something that he wanted. And he started trying to unearth the castle. And on the way to unearthing the castle, the people who were digging the thing, they hit this place that's literally called the Dreg Heap of Souls. Uh, one way of translating it is like, Loki is using Soul Drift Cave, which is like, that's um that's like probably what it would have been called, but it's lit, like the soul drift part. The characters use that are the same characters that they use for Dreg Heap in the DLC in uh, Ring City. So it's literally called like the Soul Dreg Heap Cave. And yeah, it is apparently underneath Drang Lake Castle. Like whatever Vendrick is doing when the giants. I think this may even be when Vendrick disappears in this version of the story. He's trying to get. Are you okay? Sorry. He's like, yeah, he's really, uh, he's testing everyone today. Shit, little guy. Little guy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's being extra, extra annoying. He's going to the desk. He knows he's not supposed to go to. And he's like, no, I want to go there. 
And it's like, no, no, take any other desk, not this one. She's like, no, I want this one. And he like, like he went there like 20 times and we put him down and he goes up and we put him down and he goes up. Maybe it's because he wants attention because I'm recording, my boyfriend's playing Red Dead. So it's like, yeah. yeah. It's like, I'll get attention one way or another. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. heart attack. Yeah, go on. <laughs> okay. So, Vendrick's plan, apparently, like, we don't really know the details of the plan because there's no Vendrick dialogue, but he was trying to get to the immortals by basically digging them up. And what happened is that the workers who were trying to reach the immortals, they, while they were tunneling, they came upon something that's literally called like the the way it's written in Japanese is like the dreg heap of souls. So it's like it's the same uh, Japanese words they use for dreg heap in the Ring City DLC. And the idea is that they they found this like place that's sort of all these souls have like just sort of settled here. Like it's just all these like tons and tons of souls have just like um. Yeah, they've just come to rest in this one place. So as the workers are tunneling through, there's just souls sort of like assaulting them and flying out. And it's like it's it's apparently like it, it hollowed or killed the workers and they just had to stop doing it. But Vendrick is trying to get there. And from the way it's laid out, like the way they talk about the immortal castle is underground and it was flooded. They were trying to be deep, deep under the ground and surrounded by water, so because the, the immortals hated sun and they couldn't walk through the water. So it looks very, very much like that is the Shrine of Amana, an undead crypt. That you would have found this, like, the Shrine of Amana is a, like a waterlogged area. It's underground. And it's mostly just very deep water with a very narrow path through it. And it leads to a place called Undead Crypt, which, like, it's called a crypt, but it's very clearly a castle. Like, it's a huge sort of sprawling place. It's not just a bunch of graves. And it looks like that would have been, like, the castle where the immortals lived. And I I talked to Santa about this, and he said, yeah, actually, he'd been looking through the files, and that area has an unused, like, literally a throne room. So that would have been where the immortals were. And because, like, the the um, Vendrick's plan collapsed when I was talking earlier about the Gurm, what would happen is the Gurm were also tunneling, and they had made their own tunnel to that place. So you would have had to go under Drang Lake Castle through the gutter, which was at the time under Drang Lake. Go all the way down the gutter, and then you'd pop out the bottom in, like, Shrine of Amana, basically. Because the, the Gurm would have kept tunneling from there, and they would have popped out in... Shrine of Amana. So you would have gone Shrine of Amana at that point. I don't know what that probably was the Dreg Heap of Souls area. And you would have like gone down there and through uh, to Undead Crypt, which would have been this castle where these immortals lived. But that's where it ends. And we have like no idea what the rest of the story was. But it was something about Vendrick seeking these things called the immortals who were undying but not undead. And like he was just obsessed with finding them, and they were buried. They're kind of like the Thumerians. That's like, what I was about to ask you: Were they the Thumerians? <laughs> yeah, it's almost yeah. But yeah, we don't know what. And like, I guess if um, 
Like, just speculating based on the story we had, like, Vendrick is obsessed with finding a way to avoid hollowing and a way to break the curse. So it may have been that the immortals, because they're they're immortal, but they're not undead, they may have figured out a way to, like, live forever but not hollow. And he was trying to find out that. I don't know, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that it? Uh, I think that's the, that's really all we know. If you want Is more detailed it? looks, we'll we'll link Illusory Walls Tumblr in the comment in the description. Yeah, and we'll put the, Santa's yeah. video as well. Santa's video and the translation of the Design Works interview. Uh huh. Okay. Also, like. The, uh, the reason I s- I've been sending you Reddit threads is that a lot of the actual articles that were published are now gone. Like, they were just because the websites are dead. But luckily, like, people were just copying and pasting them in their entirety on Reddit. So. Yeah. Cool. Oh, oh, I got one more Shibuya quote, I guess, okay. to like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he says, the name of the world is the key to the story. <gasps> and what's the name of the world? He doesn't say, does he? He says it's called Drang Lake. So, ah, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't quite know what to make of that. <laughs> because Drang Lake's not a word, but a bunch of places do call it Drang. But they shorten it to Drang, and like it's shortened to Drang in Dark Souls 3. And like Drang means desire or want in German. So. I guess, like, the, the idea of desiring and wanting things is essential to Dark Souls 2, so... Well, wait, where does he say that the name of the world is Trangling? He doesn't, he just says it's the key. He just says that's the yeah, name. Yeah, well, that's but the th- thing, he says the well, name of the world will be the key to the to the story, but he doesn't say but, what the name is. Yeah, but it's, it's from what we can gather, it's always been called Trangling, though. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But maybe it was something else. Maybe it was Ludwig killed Maria. <laughs> that was the intention all along. Uh. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I like how how this podcast went really well, but then in the yeah. end, <laughs> it's like you know what? I figured it out, Richie. I figured it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've been talking for about an hour, and the podcast went really smoothly, mostly because I was paying attention and listening to what you have to say. Actually, because I thought this was really interesting. Well, it went really smoothly if you ignore the constant stops as Corvo knocks things over. And you have to keep getting up. Yeah, that's normal. This is part of life, Richie. <laughs> no, I, he, he's not normally this disruptive. Yeah, so if you ignore the disruptions by Corvo, it went really smoothly. And then, at the end, you're like, I'll finish off with this quote, all philosophically. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't seem to go the way you have envisioned it, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, Richie, the trick is if we talk for more than an hour, right. it goes downhill. It's like a like a cooldown ability. Yeah. Yeah. And it does make sense because we just recorded, so technically we've been talking for more than an hour, but then we took a big break. Yeah. And then we started recording again. You certainly did. <laughs> 
okay, so I guess if we take a break after this one and record the third podcast for today, it may go smoothly as well. What's the third part? Um, the, um, the original bosses for Bloodborne. Oh yeah, that'll, that'll take like 10 minutes. Okay, perfect. All right, Richie. He said cursing it. Okay. What? I feel like I cursed it by saying that. Oh no. <laughs> okay, We'll take Richie. 10 minutes and then like at 8 a.m. I'll still be there going like, <laughs> that's not Willem's name. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, Richie. Thank you so much for okay. all the information. Now do the outro. What's the outro? Like, that was episode, what, 40? Oh, wait, wait, I'll tell you. No, no, I got it. I got okay. It. Okay. I got it. It's episode... Huh. Maybe I don't got it. Wait. <laughs> okay, you're gonna like okay. this. Just keep in this mind, a- <laughs> it's, yeah. pl- it's part of a bigger plan, okay? Okay. This is episode 47. <laughs> That was episode 47 in broadcast order. <laughs> Even though we just recorded episode 43. <laughs> of the Snack Covenant, a mystifyingly named podcast, apparently about everything and just. It started off as being about Dark Souls and is now just random things. <laughs> Yay! Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Sinclair's cat made a lot of noise in this episode. If you would like to hear cats making noise and Sinclair yelling and other things that are cut out, why not join Sinclair's Patreon? Patreon.com slash Sinclair Lore. <laughs> oh, Richie, you reminded me of something. I have a paper. Uh-huh. I printed out because I'm trying to get a lot more organized. So I have a paper. And on top it says, The Snack Covenant. On it, it says the things we should mention on all our different podcasts. So this is The Snack Covenant. So we mentioned the episode number, check. Yep. We mentioned the topic, check. We mentioned other people. We did, check. Yeah, illusory will. Yeah, and Santa. And Santa, and yeah. Um... And we also have to mention other stuff relating to the podcast. So we could mention our other podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Seamlessly integrated into this episode. mentioned that we started mentioning in the beginning and people were like oh thank you we have a discord server yep yeah so check it out it will be in the description if you're into I, that I thought of something stuff. we should we should mention what loki wants to talk to us about dark souls to like translation stuff yeah so yeah so i don't know if this yeah. is coming up before or after that oh loki translation will be after this Okay, so so stay tuned for more Dark Souls two stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know when though because this is uh, this is the last episode to be released on my current schedule. Okay. Yeah, this is this this outro is getting a lot more convoluted than I expected. Okay. Well, you shouldn't <laughs> have made a list. It's just backfired on itself. <laughs> 
I felt like I would keep us organized, and I felt like this was a good idea. Well, you thought wrong. I did. But the good thing is, okay, we already mentioned everything except for the Discord. Everything that's important, we mentioned. So we're doing good intuitively. That's like a really terrible self-help book, like doing good intuitively. <laughs> doing good intuitively. That sounds like something Zoolander would write. If the Patreon doesn't work out, you can make a living as like a fraudulent motivational speaker. Fraudulent. I motivate you. <laughs> I motivate you to do these podcasts. <laughs> Your idea of motivating people is that you like clap in their face and yell at them until they do things. Yeah, <laughs> it's a different kind of motivation. You'll you'll release like a like a tape you listen to when you're asleep, and you're just going. Why did I write games equipment on this list? Is this the right list? <laughs> what does that mean? Is it a reference to me having a whole lot of VR equipment stuck to my face, like Tetsuo <laughs> the Iron Man? No, I wrote this before we even wanted to stream the Asine. Did I predict something yet again? <gasps> you predicted me holding a headset on with electrical tape stuck to my ear. Yeah, I think I yeah. did. Hmm. This is a useless list. I'm horrible at this. We're never organizing anything ever again. <laughs> the list is going to end up as bonus content on Patreon. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, the list is going to end up in the trash. It's probably a better listen than when you just looped me going and put it over a radio. That was perfect. Uh, did you know somebody commented on that? Are they all right? For context, we have a $20 patron tier where we put content that's unlistenable, that's mostly I think this is going there. And <laughs> Well, no, I assume, Richie, nobody listens to these podcasts till the end. The retention rate is horrible in these. So by now we're just talking <laughs> to ourselves. <laughs> so let me tell my story. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we have patron tiers, right? The less you pay, the better content you get. The best content is free, yeah. it's this. But if you start yes. paying, the less you pay, the better content you get. And there's one tier that's $20, and you get clips mm -hmm. and stuff that's mostly unlistenable. Yeah. And one of them is you beatboxing like Willem. Yes. <laughs> like the cut content. that. <laughs> Well, you just got it again for free. Oh, but it, what I did was better, because you did it once very well, and I made it into, yeah. like, a tune. So it's it's even, <sighs> it's even better than this. And there was a... Yeah. There's a, there's a comment on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And the comment is by Bob Witz, and it says, Richie is a man of so many hidden talents. I'm truly in awe and jealous beyond belief. Thank you, Bob Witz. Thank you, Bob Witz. Yeah. Yeah. 
Did you know we have a red bubble store? No. Yeah, we What? do. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Ike likes to draw for us. <laughs> and I ask uh, commissions oftentimes. And yeah. some of them make it on the red bubble store. This is genuinely news to me. <laughs> yeah, so you see the list. That's, that's cool. I feel like I told you before. The list is tell Richard I'm profiting from his likeness. <laughs> no! We're not profiting, because nothing that's, that's like That's like number eight. <laughs> What? Yeah, this like list of all the things I need to tell Richard, and like the last one is profiting from merchandise depicting him. Well, oh yeah, someone that's does after, like, you. <laughs> that's But that, that's less important than like the code word system that does nothing. Technically, it's not you. It's chibis of us. <laughs> nice legal loophole. And also, we're not profiting from it because nobody's buying them. <laughs> Good. Well... <sighs> well, that was like seriously 20 solid minutes of an outro. That's gonna be problematic because up in my jam is only like four minutes long. I'm gonna have to loop it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I keep forgetting that's the theme song because I don't actually listen to these. I'm just on them. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so I guess that's it. I don't know how long, much longer this can go for. It's just like... Are you daring me, Richie? I don't know. It's 4am. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to be able to do anything else today, so... I could edit this into a smaller intro, but I don't even remember where the intro ended and the conversation started. Well, it's episode 47, so you've got a while to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I'll see okay. you around in about five okay. minutes, Richie. Bye-bye. <laughs>